Before we jump in, would you pray with me, please? Father God, as we come to you today to hear from your word, Father, we want to thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the, the map, the road map, the manual, everything that you have to tell us, Father. Without it, we would be lost. It is your word to us, so Father, we thank you for that. And, and God, I just ask that as we, as we go forward with this today, Father, that um, you would help me keep, keep my thoughts and my eyes on you, Father, that, uh, that this message might be from you rather than from me, and that I'd stay out of my own head and my own thoughts about these things, and that it would all be from you. So God, thank you for your word, and bless us as we move forward this morning. Amen. Amen. So, first off, yes, for those who don't know me, I am Brian. I am the um, youth and children's pastor here at Dryden Full Gospel. Um, haven't really had to do that in the past over the ca- past couple of years with COVID. It's kind of been just the same people for the most part, but we've got a lot of new people that have been coming out and tuning in online too. So, we're continuing on today. Uh, our parables walking through Luke um, that Pastor Nick had started. Uh, so I get I get a couple of fun parables here um, around uh, around a meal as Jesus often seemed to like to do. Um, but this one has a lot more to do with meals, the way that he's telling his stories. So we're continuing to follow Jesus as he travels. And what's happened is, I'm, I, and so now, this is also, there's a long passage that we read this morning. I tried to trim it, and it was all just very important to the final point, and I couldn't get rid of anything. So I'm going to kind of go through quickly some of these things um, to get to the real meat. But on the Sabbath, what's happened is that he has stopped to have a meal. He was invited into um, a religious leader's home to have a meal. Uh, and again, if we explore Jesus' ministry, this is huge. It's constantly having meals with people. There's constantly food involved. Um, tells, you, tells you something about food, I think, right? Something that man typically has in common, people, humanity. We all need food. Some of us like food a little more than others. Um, but food is important. It's something we all have in common. So he's at this meal. And a man suffering from disease comes to him. Um, now, this wasn't a man that was invited to the feast. Um, it's just somebody who is nearby in their homes that was open and uh, where you were dining. People on the street could walk by and see you. So there's a man who had come to him who had disease. And Jesus asks the Pharisees if it's okay to heal him because it's the Sabbath. He's actually asking them. Is it okay if I do this? It's a little bit different than other times where he just did whatever um, without talking to them about it. So he asks them, but nobody can give a response. They have no response for him, so Jesus just heals him. And what he does then is says, yeah, okay, I did this. You might think it's wrong. He doesn't say it in so many words, but this is what he's saying. You might think it's wrong, but... If your son fell in a well, or an ox, or for us it would be cows or bison or dog, 
falls in the well, are you not going to go and rescue them? Or are you going to leave them in there till the Sabbath is done and hope that they're okay by the time you get there? Right? So he gives this example to get them actually thinking about it. Again, they really don't have anything to say to it. So then he launches into the story about the wedding feast. So the first of the two, two parables listed here. The wedding feast. So he tells a story to help them understand what might be wrong with the way that they think about some of these things. And this, uh, this is one of the parables that doesn't seem quite so cryptic. When we read it, we look at it, and it's like, oh, yeah, that message is staring us in the face. Um, and it really has the, the um, first shall be last and the last shall be first kind of vibe to it, um, where he's talking about the people who put themselves lower may be elevated, and those who put themselves at the top may find themselves knocked down a few pegs. So notice that he's telling this story, though. This is what's important here. He's telling this story because he saw that people intentionally chose the best spots while they were at the feast. People, he was looking at who was sitting where. And they were picking the places of honor. And they, w- w- uh, the Pharisees often had this, uh, this mentality that they're the cream of the crop, right? The best of the best. We're the most righteous. And they made a show of showing, they made a show of promoting, sorry, that self-righteousness, that superior righteousness to other people by putting themselves in the spots. And honestly, sometimes we're guilty of doing things like this, right? Um, We can look at where somebody else is in life, um, the way other people are living or the status where other people are. Um, and then we can kind of tout how much we have things figured out in comparison to them, right? It's a lot of comparing. I'm up here, you're down here. Sometimes we're down here and you're up there. But we often will compare. But the problem is when we keep putting ourselves in the place of honor, and that's what the Pharisees are doing. We look at the sins of others and ignore our own a lot of times. Kind of the the speck in the eye versus the log in the eye sort of situation where we might be pointing out, yeah, you're doing this wrong, but then we fail to notice that we're doing something else wrong because we're focused on other people. But Jesus presents us with a warning here in this parable. When we promote ourselves and our own interests in this life, we'll be put to shame in the next. When we choose the place of honor instead of being placed in the place of honor, God will judge that. We can only gain our place of honor with God through humility and servanthood. It's so much more, that place of honor is so much more important Um, than anything that we can attain here. But if we're putting all of our effort into status and everything to try to make ourselves that important person, yeah, that's, we're missing the mark. So there's, there's that parable. It's pretty simple, right? Nothing too much below surface level. But now I get to be the sham wow guy and say, but wait, there's more. 
So he goes on to tell everyone who you should be inviting to a banquet. And he says, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, rich neighbors. He's saying, don't invite all these people to a banquet. Because ideally, and especially in some cultures in different eras, um, you're going to get something out of that kind of invitation. So when I think of that, I think like Victorian era parties where all the nobles, they held these different balls and dances and banquets and they would hop around to the different ones and it was just this whole circuit of being invited to each other's parties. So by go inviting all of these families, you got invited to their parties as well. And it was just this whole um, hierarchy of, of looking important by going to these, these parties. But they got something out of it. Sometimes it could be a business connection too. When I think about things today, sometimes we'll invite people to things so that we can connect with them and make a business connection or, or have some sort of connection that benefits us. And, and like I said, it's a social standard. It's something that's just been built into cultures over, over history. But instead he says, no, no, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. He assures them that there's a blessing from this because those people can't repay kindness. They can't repay the kindness. Not, not in the way that, uh, that we traditionally think of being repaid for something like that. Instead, our reward for something like that, that's our heavenly rewards, right? That's our reward w with our place with God. That's part of how we earn that place of honor with him. And it's all a rebuke to the host of the meal who had clearly invited... Again, if we, if we look at it, he'd clearly invited all the important people who were sitting down, taking the places of honor that they felt were due to them. And they didn't necessarily need what was before them. And they neglected those around them. So then Jesus doubles down a little bit and lays a heavier layer of message be below that. He's telling another story, and this is the one we really want to focus on, the parable of the great, great banquet. So a host has invited a whole bunch of people to a banquet that he's, he's holding. Um, when it's time for the banquet, sends out a servant, says, yeah, it's time. Well, what happens? Nobody comes. Nobody shows up. So he sends a servant to check on those invited guests to say, hey, you can come. It's okay. But what's happening? One guy says, hey, I bought a field, and I need to go look at it, so I can't come. Can't come to the banquet. Got to go look at this field. Check out the dirt. One bought oxen and needed to examine them. When I think about this, it's like, uh, yeah, I bought a car, but I didn't look at it first. I just bought a car, so now I need to go look at it, and so then I can't come to your 
banquet because for some reason I bought a car without looking at it. Who does that? One got married. What an excuse. I got married. Sorry, Nick, I got married. I can't come play Nintendo today. I got married. <laughs> Wife wouldn't let him, right? Yes, I got married. That was one of the excuses. It's simply, I got married, so I can't come. The point is that they all felt like they had something else better that they could be doing with their time. So then the servant reports back to his master, who's a little upset. And, I mean, anybody who's planned uh, a reception for a wedding, if you invited all these people and they were going to be coming, and all of a sudden they turned around and said, nope, I got, I got other things to do, you might be a little bit upset because that's not cheap to do. I, rem I mean, it's 10 years ago for us, and I remember how much it costs. I can't imagine today with a price of groceries and stuff, how much catering would be. Yeah, that's, you're, you're going to be a little bit upset if everybody says, no, can't come. But even though he's upset, the master is determined that there is still going to be a feast. But who's going to attend? The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So now we can see why the rest of this was important. So the, the, the servant is told, go out into the city, into the streets and the alleys, and find anybody. Find the people who can come in. Jesus was healing somebody who was diseased and poor. There's judgment from the Pharisees every time Jesus is doing ministry to people who are disadvantaged. So the master sends the servant to collect those people to fill up the house. So let's take a step back. There was a man earlier who responded to Jesus in between the stories by saying, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And now that we're looking at Jesus' response, um, by telling this story, he's saying, you admire this messianic banquet. You admire this. But are you ready to come, especially given those who will also be there? jump back to the story though there was still room at the banquet when he collected all the the people from the streets there was still room so the servant was told to go to the highways and the hedges to compel people to come the highways and the hedges so that's the wanderers and the outcasts that needed to be convinced that they would be welcome at the banquet they needed to be compelled by love. This reflects the urgent desire of the master to have a full house. He wants everyone who can to be packed in. So because the originally invited guests 
had made excuses, the master says that none shall taste the banquet. And that's where that ends. So we'll break it down real quick here. And I promise I will try to make it very quick. We know I'm slow. What does it all mean in the end? The master who's putting on the banquet is God. The banquet itself is God's kingdom, inviting people into his kingdom. Jesus is the servant who is charged with inviting people to the banquet, who are the guests that were invited. Israel. At the time that Jesus was was telling this story, he was talking to the Pharisees. He was talking specifically to Israel, the Israelites. So the story was told after a sequence of events and other stories, and a very clear point was being made in the telling of this. First, Jesus spoke to some of the nonsensical ideas that the Pharisees held to. That's kind of the the healing at the beginning and that, um, you know, God only works at certain times, that kind of thing. Second, he continued with the first parable there and explained that expectation and reality can be two very different things. What we expect God to be like, we can be way off base and that's that happens. Humility is needed in order for us to find the right place and understand what God is asking and looking for. Third, it sounds great to hear about the kingdom and what it holds, right? Until, especially for these guys, the realization that Israel might not be as special as they think they are. It doesn't necessarily hold that top place of honor, especially when throughout the Old Testament they kept trying and failed, trying and failed. God tried to put them on the right path, and they kept falling off the horse. Ultimately, others will be allowed to enter the kingdom, whether or not the Israelites want to believe that. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that that would happen. Ultimately, Jesus is explaining through this story that even though they have been invited to the party, Israel hasn't really shown any desire to show up. Israel has not been able to be the pure bride that they were intended to be. Therefore, God is sending Jesus to the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. This is an explanation of a massive part of his ministry. This is what Jesus did. Jesus ministered to these people, the people that traditionally weren't invited in to the party. But he's also sending in an invitation to those outside of their regular bubble, their regular society the hedges and the highways, pushing so that the hedges and the highways, that would be what was around the town and the city. So he's pushing the boundaries of what they currently know 
It's not just for Jerusalem, Judea. It's not just for the nation of Israel. There are others out there who are being invited into the kingdom. It's a foreshadow of the work that um, to come, spreading the gospel to the Gentiles, right? And the kingdom is available to all who come. But what does it mean for me today? It's a great story, but what does it actually mean for me today, sitting here, Sunday, August the 14th, 2022? At this time, I'd ask that you really search your hearts along with me while we wrap this up. Let God speak to us. First, we are often so self-absorbed that we aren't showing up at the banquet. We can be so focused on our own things that are going on that we don't show up to the banquet when we're called. Aren't we? How often do we put our own pursuits and priorities above serving God's kingdom? A lot of things can be, can be put before what God is calling us to. Work, friends, status, power. There's a lot of things. We can put a lot of things before God and his call on our lives. The list is long. And we can often turn a blind eye to what God is calling us to because of these other things that are just excuses. I can't show up to what God's calling me to because I've got my family to take care of. Okay? God will take care of you. If he's calling you to something, he will take care of you. They're excuses. And God asks to be number one in our lives. Number one, God. As soon as we let other things get in the way of our relationship with him, we are now refusing to show up at the party. We need to actively choose to be present. Not just float along and say that we're there. Second, we need to understand that God wants his house to be full to the brim and bursting. Not a seat left. No standing room. He wants it full. We aren't the only ones that are invited in order to meet that goal. The most down and out people are invited. The people that live in places in the world that Startingly, startingly, Lee, starting, I don't know how to say the word, surprisingly, there we go, surprisingly, still have absolutely no access to the gospel. They're all invited too. God welcomes them all in no matter what state they are in. It doesn't matter where they're at, they are invited in. Jesus didn't care. Why would we? All of those on the fringes of society and the known world who 
we often put ourselves above. And sometimes the reason that we don't want to be present is because of the other people that are invited in. And we need to understand that we don't get to choose who's invited to the kingdom. It's an open invitation. If our goals truly align with those of the fathers, we'll want to seek to have the kingdom full. Real quick, I just want to share a couple of statistics. I didn't write these down because I wasn't sure if I would share them. Um, for those who don't know, I'm back in school as well. So I'm doing school part-time from a distance, and the course that I'm doing right now is Christianity in the 21st century world. I'm talking a lot about missions and various other things, um, which I thought I was going to hate at first. When I looked at the course syllabus, I'm like, no, this is, this is not my thing. But it's actually been really good. Talking about the people on the fringes, the people that are unreached, Um, as Christians, Christian groups, over or almost $900 billion every year is, is or has been raised, sorry, not every year, over nine, uh, almost $900 billion has been raised for missions to support missions efforts. That's awesome, right? It's incredible. However, approximately 12% of that, over $100 billion, is used for home missions. So within the, the nations and the communities where the churches already exist, which is good. We need to be doing outreach. Eighty percent, over eighty percent, is for local missions, local ministry, church missions, right in our area. Unevangelized, non-Christian world gets about five percent of the money. And less than 2% is actually going towards reaching unreached people, people who don't have any access to the gospel, of which there are over 17,000 people groups. 17,000 people groups that haven't been able to hear the gospel because there are no resources for that. So when I look at this, and we're being sent to invite everybody, it makes me feel like we're missing the mark a little bit. That there are so many people in the world that we're expending so many resources to our local churches, which is good. Again, we need that. But we're sending so many people to Christianized countries already places where they already have heard the gospel and we're not even giving a chance to those who are on the hedges and highways outside of the bubble. 
So just some food for thought there. But today, maybe what we need to do personally, because this is what we can control and change right now, is examine where our own commitment lies. Do we have better things to do than serve God with every fiber of our being? Or are we giving it all to make sure that we're in attendance at that banquet? Are we satisfied with the amount of people already at the party? Or are we ready to let the world around us know that they're welcome too? Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your words today. We thank you that we live in a world where we have the opportunity to know about you, Father. That we have the, the choice of attending the banquet or not, Father. God, I just pray that you would really hit our hearts today, Father. That you would lay it on us that, you know what, there are things in our lives that are coming between us and you that will stop us from heading to that banquet. God, if there's something on uh, that, that, that's, that's um, in the way of that, of our attendance, Father, I just pray that you would, you would work in our hearts today and, and make that known to us. Father God, that you would get in there and do a work within our lives so that we can work for you and keep inviting people from all walks of life and all corners of the world, Father. And God, I just pray that you would really give us hearts that understand that our eternal life with you is at stake in this. And God, that more than that, You've commanded us to, to make it available to everybody, to make sure that everybody receives an invitation. So God, I just pray that if there's anybody here today that you're calling to do that kind of work, outreach, missions, to get involved and actually really get a hold of people, Father, that you would call them today that you would make it audible to them, Father, so that they can't deny that you are calling them to do the work. And God, if there's anybody in here today or watching online, listening later, who hasn't committed themselves to you, Father, who doesn't currently have that place at the banquet, Father, I just pray right now that you would do a work in their life. That, Father, you would call them and draw them near to you. So, Father, as we go throughout our week, keep this fresh in our minds, have the Spirit working within us, and, Father, continue to guide us with your word. 
We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So with that, friends, go with the peace of God. Have a good week.